You're listening to Right Where You Are, hosted by New York Times bestselling author, creator, and speaker, Jason Wright. With inspiring guest interviews and Jason's unique lens on life, this is the place to see the good in the world, to lift and be lifted, no matter your starting point, to make a difference that matters. And we'll do it all together, right where you are. Hello, friends. Welcome. It's Jason Wright. So glad that you're here on the podcast at Right Where You Are. And I'm glad that you joined us for this really special Christmas jars series. I hope you've been following along. This is our third in the series of Christmas jars focused episodes here during the holiday season. If you're new to the Christmas jars movement or the book, well, you can pick it up. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes Noble, wherever you like to download uh, ebooks for whatever device you read your ebooks on. And of course, the movie is streaming free online in a couple of different places. And I will put all of those links in the show notes. Our previous guests, the last two weeks um, in these uh, Christmas Jars episodes, well, their stories were from 2020 and they were beautiful. I hope that you'll go back and listen uh, to Sarah and Kathy's episodes, um, how their lives were changed in, in unique ways because of a simple jar um, being given to them anonymously. But today's guest she and her family just got their jar. Like this is as fresh a story as, as you can get. So I'm, I'm excited for you to be introduced, not just to the family and to their journey, but also to the circumstances behind receiving this jar just in the last few days. Our guest today lost her daughter McKenna on February 19th of this year uh, in a car accident on uh, some snowy and dangerous roads in Utah. And McKenna was, remarkable in every way. And unlike so many of the stories that I have shared on Right Where You Are, I have a a deeper personal connection to this one because I knew McKenna so well personally. She had been in my home, uh, eaten dinner with my family. She had prayed with my family, taught my family, uh, testified to my family, and ministered in so many ways uh, to my family. Uh, she served as a missionary uh, for our church here in um, in the Virginia area, and she she didn't just become friends with the Wright family. She became friends with everyone that she crossed paths with, whether it was because she was here for six months in Little Woodstock, Virginia, or six minutes uh, on a on a subway platform somewhere, or in a Walmart checkout line, or wherever. She had a gift for seeing people. And recognizing that every single person deserves to be loved, no strings, no questions asked. Um, and to me, that's a, an important part of her legacy. So um, our guest today is her sweet mother, uh, Rebecca Goodwin, and she happens to be one of my favorite people as well. Hello, my friend. Hey. So glad you're here. Are you excited to be here? I am. You already made me cry, though. This is not a good start. <laughs> oh, oh, my dear. You're not supposed to be crying yet. Uh, it's way too early for that. <laughs> I know. That's what I thought. Uh, well, I'm I'm glad you made some time, and I, I know you're I know you're a busy mom and have uh, lots of things on your plate, personally and professionally, and and with church and everything else. So I I'm grateful for the time. So I, I want to dive right in and um, have you share. And by the way. For our audience, I'll, I will post links to a few things that we wrote about McKenna um, after after her passing, and 
in fact, when she was, she was still with us in the hospital prior to her passing that will give a little more context into who she was, but I, I think we need to hear from her mama. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your daughter and who she was, what she stood for, and maybe, I don't know, what were the principles that, that drove her life? Well, McKenna was just a special, sweet spirit. Even when she was a baby, the people who would sit behind us at church or that would see us in line at Walmart or whatever, she would just smile at them with this beautiful, bright smile. And it would always, we would always see people giggling behind us because she just, her whole face would light up with this huge smile. And Mm. she just always loved with her whole heart. Like everybody was a friend. Like she was friends with people that were hard to be friends with. And she, she just laughed a lot and she, she was funny and fun and sweet. She was, she would always do sweet things for other people. I mean, and we didn't even find out about a lot of it until after she passed, people kind of came out of the woodworks and they would just share their stories. Oh, I was having a hard day. McKenna totally brought me this shake and, you know, I was in lockdown for COVID and nobody knew. And I was really sad and missing, you know, being around people. And she just had the thought to pop over and, and visit and just things like that, just over and over, just service and love and just light was the legacy that she left behind. Like every single member of our family feels like she is their best friend. And every when all of her friends from high school and college and her mission, like every one of them was like, Oh, McKenna's my best friend. She just had that way of making every single person feel special and valued and loved. And she was just an incredible human. You know, it's so interesting because the world, the world is geared around, um, you know, isolation and, you know, we, we pick a friend we hang on to that friend. We love that friend. They're our best friend. We learned this when we were very, very young. I remember one of my children having uh, his teacher finding a note in his pocket that he'd been carrying around that had his five, what was it? Five posse pals or something like that. And he was like, this was first grade. And it was just a list of his five friends ranked in order. And the teacher was, you know, a little concerned, like, let's make sure that you know, kids aren't feeling isolated and that everyone feels like they're his friend and actually turned into be a really interesting lesson. And I think this ties into who McKenna was because there, I'm sure that she, there were naturally people that she was closer to because they were in her life more, whether it was church or work or neighborhood or family or whatever. But, but if you were with McKenna for more than a minute or two, you felt like you were the most important person to her because she, she just treated you that way. There, there was no, no rank and file system to how she loved people. Was there? No, not at all. Not at all. All right. So tell us, and I know this is not easy, of course, um, but I also know, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later, that your your perspective on life and faith and God and why we're here and why we're here and how long we're here and where we're going, um, you know, influences your um your probably just your approach to this year in a lot of ways in terms of being a lot more hopeful. So tell us about, tell us about the accident. Um, I remember it well. I remember getting text messages and seeing things on social media and then connecting with you. Um, but I'd love to hear a little bit from your perspective, what, what that was like, the phone call, the trip, the car down, you know, the car ride down, walk us through whatever you're comfortable sharing there. Oh, 
that was a, that was a really hard day. Um, the hardest day of my life, but we, uh, it was a snowy day and she was on her way to work. She worked about 20 minutes from where she lived and she was on the freeway and she hit a patch of slush and her car hit the median and then went across traffic and she was hit by a semi. Um, I was working at home. My husband and I were both working at home. The kids were all at school. We have seven kids. So Ken is the second oldest of that group. And um, I was on a phone call. I, I um, do kind of soft sales. Anyway, I was in the middle of a phone call and someone knocked on the door and Chris, my husband went to the door to answer it. And he yelled kind of at, like in an urgent voice to me, like, Rebecca, get off the phone. And I was like, uh, I was, I didn't know what to do. Cause I was in the middle of a call. I couldn't see the door. So I didn't know what was going on. So I started just kind of closing the conversation. He goes, get over here now. And just this urgency that I, I didn't recognize in his voice. Um, and I got there and there were two police officers standing there and they said, are you McKenna Goodwin's parents? And we said, yeah. And they said, we are so sorry to tell you this, but your daughter's been in an accident and they don't expect her to make it. And they said, we need you to try to hurry and get to the hospital as quick as you can. And we, my husband just started bawling and which he's not an emotional person. He just became inconsolable. And he, we grabbed the keys and he started like trying to walk to the car. I said, no, I'm driving. Like you can't even see, like you can't start crying. And so I, I got in the car and I knew my brain was just a jumbled mess. And I just said a prayer and he said, God, you're going to have to get me to the hospital safely because I know that I won't be able to make rational choices and decisions. And so we headed down to the freeway. Well, when we caught on the on-ramp at the freeway, it was completely at a standstill because there had been other accidents on the freeway. It was not moving and we were on the ramp. So there was not much we can do. And I was, I just panicked. I was just like, what should we do, Chris? Like, we have to go. We can't wait here. We don't know how much time she has left. And he saw, we saw a car pull, like flip around next to us and pull off the on-ramp, like go up against all the traffic. And he, he said, go do that. And I was like, are you kidding me? And he goes, do that. And I just felt this feeling of like confidence and kind of peace. It was scary still, but like you could do it, you know, like, just like go. So I turned around <laughs> and went up the on-ramp and against the traffic and like cut through the rest of like the city and then came back down around all the mess on the freeway. And when we got back down to the freeway, there was no one on the freeway because it was all backed up before that. And we like flew the rest of the way to Provo. She ended up in the Provo hospital and the police called me when I was getting off the freeway and they said, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that you're stuck in that mess. We're going to send someone to come get you. And I said, no, it's okay. We we're here. We're in Provo. We went around the freeway. Mm. Um, so we got there and she had just, um, she was in surgery and then we just kind of waited. We had a couple of family members that were already there at the hospital waiting and they just kept coming as the day went. 
Um, and, and then the, the, um, physician came in and spoke to us and he said, we've, we've done surgery to try to alleviate the pressure in her brain and everything, but she's, she's received a very traumatic injury and it is not looking good. He said, um, we don't know if she's going to try to fight to stay or if she is going to go and we'll know again, and we'll test in a couple of hours and we'll know what her brain is doing, if it's shutting down or not. So we just kind of sat around waiting. We, we prayed as a family um, and felt great power in that. And we were surrounded by loved ones. You guys, the hospital was shut down. Like it was COVID. So you could only have two guests and we had so many tender mercies Um, even in that, because they didn't expect her to make it, they allowed us to eventually not at first we had to trickle people, like really it was only supposed to be two guests total, but they let us kind of trade off two at a time to go say, you know, spend time with her and say goodbyes and stuff. Once we, we realized that two hours later, they came back and said she was shutting down and we knew she wasn't going to make it. Um, and And eventually they just let us have everyone come up. Everyone like Chris's family came from out of town um, and we had other family members that were around and and everyone got to come in and spend some time with our family and with her. And it was a really tender and beautiful experience, but so, so hard. I, I just remember, I just sighed all day long. Like I couldn't process the emotions. I couldn't process what was happening. Um, and we had, you know, the rights ordered pizza and had it delivered to the hospital. And we had so many sweet people reach out so many texts, so many people just wanting to, to check in on us. And we, um, she passed away that night. Well, she was declared brain dead. Um, but we kept her body going for a couple more days because she wanted to be an organ donor, but she had tested positive for COVID, um, a couple of, even though she'd had it a couple of months before. So, um, so we knew she was gone though that night she had stopped breathing on her own and her brain had shut down. Um, so we kind of all said our goodbyes, um, and we got home and our house was decorated with luminarias and bows. And some, some of my friends had come in and cleaned our house. I'd left laundry all over the floor. Um, they'd cleaned our house and they brought in some food and there were baskets for each person, member of our family with some goodies and jewelry and books and, and sweet things. And they had, there was a blanket, like a blanket for each person that had an embroidered message. It just said, I will always be with you. And it had their name on it. Um, we walked around and those blankets wrapped around us for the next few days. Anyway, that's kind of. That's kind of how it went. Oh, and and I know that you were, you know, just kind of scratching the surface on on those details, which is, um, you know, to be expected. And and it's it's fascinating to me how many people, when they go through something like this, they they talk about how beautiful some of the moments were, and and that's for those of us looking on the outside, we we think, well, how could you find any beauty at all in the final days of your daughter's life in those kinds of circumstances, especially with, you know, such a sudden, a sudden end to her life. It's a little bit different when someone has this slow sort of walk 
you know, from illness or something from this life to the next. But when it's so immediate and there's that knock on the door, and I know we have people listening today that that have been through that, it, it can be it can be hard to look at that season of your life, um, even here just less than a year later, and say, you know what, that was hard, but boy, this was beautiful, and this was beautiful, and that was beautiful. Um, but to what do you attribute that? that you're able to see beauty in the hardest thing you've ever been through? No, I think there's a few things. One is my faith in Christ. I feel like because I love him and I try to use him as my guide. My dad always said something that he learned in a class once. He would tell us, if you remain steadfast in Christ through your adversity, the power of Christ is unleashed and miracles occur either in yourself or your circumstances, oftentimes both. And I feel like I tried to stay um, focused on Christ through all that happened and to follow his will. At one point, I even prayed and I just said, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand why this would happen and why you need her. But I trust you. And I know that you have a plan and that it is a good plan, even if I don't understand it. And so I just gave my will and my heart to him. And I feel like staying close to him has helped me to see, he has helped me to see all of the many beautiful blessings. And there have been so many, Jason, like we have been the recipients of so much love and goodness throughout the year. Just there's there's some cute person that wants to remain anonymous that every every month on the 17th, which is the day that she had her accident, um, they leave some kind of yellow flowers on our doorstep because mm. yellow is kind of we we equate that with sunshine with McKenna. We talked about that in her funeral, how she was our sunshine. Um, and so they leave these yellow flowers on our doorstep every month. And um, we just have been given I mean I've even just the last few days people reaching out because of the holidays texting how are you doing I've been thinking about you you know just people are good like that's the thing that I think I took away from this more than anything is that people are inherently good there's a lot of goodness in the world especially after seeing all the political mess this last couple of years and all of the all the COVID stuff. And there's just a lot of negativity. And we saw so much love and so much positivity and so much generosity and goodness and light. And, and we were the recipients of so much goodness. And the, I, I love that reminder that people are good and inherently good. And I think to go a step further, it's often people that you would not expect, right? It's, it's the, the family at church that seems kind of quiet that you've never had a conversation with that maybe seems standoffish and suddenly they're at your door with a meal or a treat or a card or flowers or something. I've seen that time and time again throughout my life, not just with my family, but with those that I have uh, worked with or served with in different church capacities. So often when people are uh, going through really hard times, it's, it's the people they least expect that they think they have nothing in common with, um, who maybe they've never had a single meaningful conversation with who suddenly are there in an hour of need. It's a good reminder to us to not judge what other people are going through and, and to give, always give people an opportunity to serve, whether we think they're likely to say 
you know, to say yes or not. So, so yes, you're the recipient of this kindness. And recently the recipient of something that has a very special place in my heart as a Christmas jar. Um, and that's why we're here today is to hear a little bit more about that story. So I can't wait to hear what were you doing? Where did you find the jar? Um, do you have, uh, any hints at all? You don't obviously don't need to reveal a name of someone, but do you have a hunch it might've been from walk us through your Christmas jar miracle? Well, it was actually just on Sunday, I believe. And I was on the phone with our daughter that lives a few hours away. Um, and then I heard, I don't know. I think it was left on the doorstep and I think someone doorbell ditched it. Um, we do have a ring, you know, security mm. system. Well, so we could look, I told, I told my husband, Chris, I was like, you know what? They want to be anonymous. You, yeah. Fact, you can't do it. It talked about being anonymous. And I was like, don't, don't look. That's tempting though. Oh, that is so tempting. It is. It is. But we didn't, we Good didn't look. You. And, um, and so the kids brought it in and I came out cause I could hear some commotion out there and everyone was excited. And, and my, um, uh, my 13 year old daughter, she immediately like poured out the money. It was lots and lots of coins. And she started counting and putting them in piles. And she was so excited. It was just fun. Everybody was just really, it was just a sweet, thoughtful gift. And, and I told Jason this, like when I, when I texted you about it, it, it really wasn't about the money. It was, I think there was almost a hundred dollars, which is so sweet. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was more just the idea, like Christmas jars are kind of close to our hearts because of McKenna. Um, and we have a few, actually a few experiences with, with Christmas jars. Three of them are this year, Jason. Mm. I was thinking about that as I, after I texted you about it. Um, but one of them was from when McKenna was on her mission and she was so close to your family and she was going through a really hard time. And Jason gave her his Christmas jar that there that year. And she was so overwhelmed by that. She just kept saying it was the most generous gift she'd ever received. And again, I don't think she needed the money. It was just that she couldn't believe that he would give her his Christmas jar that he'd been saving up to her. And like, what a thoughtful thing. And that meant so much to her. And so she would talk about that when people would ask about like favorite gifts or whatever. That was always the favorite gift. It meant a lot. Um, and then this year, my sister came down to visit us. Um, well, came up, I guess. Um, and she hit a deer on the way. Her car was pretty, pretty hammered. She got back to her home in Arizona and someone left a Christmas jar for her. And in there, it was just enough to cover, um, the deductible for her insurance to get her mm. car fixed, which was an incredible coincidence. There's no way they could have known. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so I texted Jason about that. And I was like, Hey, this, my sister just had this Christmas jar experience. How incredible is that? Well, Jason didn't text me back for a month because he's a slacker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. I'm just choosing. He, he had gotten lost in his sea of texts that I'm sure he gets all the yeah. time. And, and it was a month later, he texted me and he said, that's so cool. And I was like, wow, I can't believe you found this text a month later. And he was like, well, you know, I just scrolling through and happened to find it. And I, plus I love your daughter. So, you know, yeah. oh, that was I remember this. I remember and this so, moment very well. So 
but I texted McKenna and I was like, Hey, guess what? Jason finally responded to me, blah, blah, blah. but I was dictating to my phone because I was in the middle of something and it came out gibberish, but I didn't know. I just sent the text, but it looked like some foreign language. I don't even know what it was. And so she called me right away. She was like, what, what were you saying? She saw Jason's name and a few tidbits and she was like, what? So we ended up talking for about an hour and she was just folding her clothes and she was telling me, we just ended up talking about all of our hopes and dreams. And mostly she was telling me about her hopes and dreams. And she wanted to start a nonprofit to help impoverished women get an education. She wanted to teach them how she was a cosmetologist. She wanted to teach women how to, how to do hair in third world countries in places where they don't have an opportunity to get an education. Um, because she wanted to help them to rise above their circumstances. And it was really important to her. Um, and Jason, that was the last conversation I had with her. So it kind of started with that Christmas jar. And that was a tender mercy. I know that Heavenly Father had things lined up way before. He knew she was going to go. Like he knew she was going to go. And he wanted us to have that last conversation with her. Um, and then after she passed, so she passed away the next day was her accident um, after that conversation. Um, and then after she passed away, Westlake, our high school, our local high school, gave us um, a check that came from their Christmas jar foundation. So my kids have been involved in raising money for the community for Christmas jars that was inspired by Jason's book. In fact, he's come and spoken at the school a couple of mm -hmm. times. Um, and they do this stuff, the jar night, and they raise thousands of dollars every year. Yeah, um, and many, we've been many. involved in the, in the fundraising part of it. Um, but they, they gave us a book, a Christmas jars book, and they gave us a check after McKenna passed away. Um, because they were, she was very loved at that school. She was in student council there and had a lot of friends with the teachers and students and everything. Um, McKenna was 23, so she was already, you know, graduated, but she still mm -hmm. was close to people in the community. Um, well, so yeah. shout out to Candace Wilson um, at the high school. Uh, just she has been such a proponent of this movement. I have been to the school um, many times. In fact, the first time I met your daughter here in Woodstock and we were, you know, connecting like, where are you from and how long have you been serving, you know, on this mission? And we, we very quickly connected the dots and she said, Oh, you've been to my high school. Um, we do the Christmas jars. It's a, it's a part of our, just the, I mean, at that point, it'd been a decade, a part of the culture of the school. And, and uh, sure enough, we, you know, found all these common people that we'd known and in the years that I had been there. And um, I, I mean, they've had years where they have raised as much as $40,000, I believe in a single yeah. year through, through this um, kind of a good, uh, good natured competition through the school. So, um, and, and I just, oh, I remember giving her, um, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad the zoom, we're not posting this video zoom because this has been, this has been, <laughs> this has been hard Rebecca to, to keep my emotions in check. But I, I remember vividly um, just feeling this impression, knowing that she had had um, a couple, you know, tough days, weeks, maybe, and, and feeling like I needed to give her a jar. And, and as you said, so eloquently more than once, it's not really about the money. Certainly the money can be a, a huge blessing to the, 
you know, to the right family at the right time and the right circumstances. But, um, but generally, no, it's about the message that comes from this, this gift of accumulated kindness. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I know that she was, she was touched and she wrote me the nicest note that I still have. Thank you. note, And I also remember that text exchange and where I was sitting uh, in our basement, the family was watching a movie and I'd actually gone looking for something else. And for whatever reason, that, that old ancient month old text popped up and I responded to it. And obviously having no idea that, uh, that a day later, you know, you, you would be going through this and we would be, you know, suffering and, and kind of mourning with you from, from 2000 miles away. But I, I just want, I want everyone listening to know that the reason that this young woman was so special um, isn't unique. We can, we can all be that special if we'll turn ourselves toward the savior. It's that simple. Yes. She was a, she was a special and unique individual, but what made her so, and if she were here, she'd be saying, stop, 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 stop. Like she would not want all of this to be about her. She would be, and I know this because I was in the room with her and heard her do this so many times. She'd be turning and reflecting the light and the attention back to, to Jesus Christ. What draws me to people like McKenna is that they remind me of Christ. And isn't that the kind of friend that you want to have? Don't you want to associate yourself with someone who reminds you of the perfect savior of the world? Not that McKenna was perfect, not at all. And she would be the first to say that she wasn't. But what kind of a high quality human being is that? That when you're with her in the room, when you're laughing and joking and sharing stories and scriptures and praying together, whatever, if you're just in her presence, you think to yourself, there is something so familiar about this young woman. And I, I think it's that she reminds me of Christ. And that's the kind of friend I want to have. And if you want, if you, if you want to know more people like McKenna, become a person like McKenna. Turn your life toward Christ, and you'll be amazed at how that draws other people like that to you. What is your message to the family that gave you that Christmas jar and, and disappeared down the street? What would you say to them if they're listening? And I suspect that they are. Oh, we just feel so much love for them. We don't, we don't, we don't know who it is, but it doesn't really matter. It's, we feel so much love and value and we feel the Savior's love through their giving hands. And we're just grateful for the tender mercies and for their willingness to, um, to be generous and share, you know, this time of year is tough. It's our first Christmas without McKenna. And I had just been talking to someone at church about that. She pulled me aside and said, how are you doing? I know it can be hard. And I've, I've been thinking about you. I don't know if it came from them, but I'm somebody new that because heavenly father inspired them. And, and I'm so grateful that they listened, but that we just needed to feel that extra love. And, um, and I'm grateful that they listened. So am I. So, so am I. Ms. Goodwin, um, yes. are you ready for the last two questions? I mean, this is, I'm it. ready. It's pressure, Great. a lot of pressure. I mean, these are the only two questions that every guest gets. So the bar is, 
The bar is high. You ready? Yep. Let's right. do it. The name of the podcast is Right Where You Are, W-R-I-G-H-T. Uh, you know JD, of course. Uh, JD actually was at the, the funeral representing the family. JD's the one that after many months of discussing the podcast as a family and how I would do it, what it would look like, she's the one that recommended and, and suggested this name. And, and it just clicked as soon as we heard it. We're like, yeah, that's what it needs to be. So I think I know what it means. And all of our guests, I think, that have been on the show have had a really good sense of what it means. But what does the name of the podcast mean to you? Well, Jason, you know, I follow your social media accounts and stuff. I saw you looking for the name. And when I heard the name, the first thought that came to me was that the Savior ministers to us wherever we are, right where we are. We're all at different places in life and we're going through different experiences. And not one of our experiences looks the same as any one other person's. And that he always went after the one he he would leave the fold to go after the one and and he would he's there for us he comes to minister to us right where we are whatever that looks like if we're struggling with addictions or depression or anxiety or um we've lost a loved one or we've gone through a divorce it doesn't matter where we are right where we are he will come mm. yeah he he will come we just we just have to want it right for sure. You just have to want it and want him. All right. Well, years from now, um, long after this podcast is just a memory for our listeners, for your friends and for mine. If you had to pick one thing, one thing that the world would remember about you and your family and, and your journey, uh, what would that be? What is Rebecca's one thing? Well, I think it's kind of what you talked about with McKenna. I think she had a very powerful light. And a lot of that had to do with that. She filled her, filled her heart and her life with light and love. And in fact, we named, we, we started a nonprofit in her honor um, so that we could help provide education for women in third world countries. Um, and we called it lead with love. And I, I would hope that when I'm long gone, that that is the legacy that I could leave behind that I led with love, that I was full of light and love and that I reflected the love of the savior and that people felt drawn to me like they were to McKenna because I, they recognized the savior in me. Well, that's beautiful, Rebecca. And I, I can tell you as someone who um, has known you now for a few years that you certainly do that for me and for my family. And in like McKenna, you um, and your crazy, wild, wonderful husband and, and the rest of your gang, uh, you, you all remind me of him and inspire me to want to be a little bit more like you, which means that I'll be um, a little bit more like him as well. Thank you so much for your time today. Yes, the holidays are going to be tough. We'll be thinking of you and and praying for you. We we love you and appreciate you and what you're doing uh, to spread goodness throughout the world. Uh, friends, look in the show notes um, on this episode for links to, um, there's a Facebook group that remembers McKenna that you might want to check out and information about the nonprofit and the good things that Rebecca and her family are doing. Rebecca, do me a favor, um, give a hug to every single member of that fun family of yours. Tell them that, that they are loved as well. And, um, and I hope 
that as you approach the the one year anniversary in January, that you feel not just the love of those people around you, but the love of our Savior. Thanks, Jason. We love you too. Thank you for joining us on Right Where You Are. For more information about Jason and his projects, visit him online at jasonfright.com or on social media at facebook.com slash jfwbooks or on Instagram at jasonfright. And be sure to subscribe to Right Where You Are wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This has been a production of Right Media Productions. Copyright 2021 by Jason F. Wright. All rights reserved.